This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. Hello and welcome to Tampa Tantrum, episode the 56. Nobody here to correct me this week, it's wonderful. Um, Jen really hates me doing the episode 56 thing and Colin's indifferent to it, but it's kind of nice that I get a chance to. And I'm not joined by either Jen or Colin uh, this week. Um, two weeks ago, episode the 55th with Jen, um, I thought it was really good fun. I actually went back and listened to it myself and had fun listening to my own voice, but then... I always have fun listening to my own voice. But I'm not doing this on my own this week, so it won't be a monologue. Do not worry. Um, I have a very special guest um, from Cropster. Um, welcome, Hello, Andreas. Steve. Hello, mate. How are you Pretty doing? Pretty well, actually, yeah. Um, I'm locked in my office today over Skype. Shall we try and record this this time without my laptop blowing up? What do you think? I'm not sure about that, actually. But I, I guess it's better overall. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, the weather is warm here in, in, in Stockholm at the minute, which is where I am, but it's like, it's a little bit cooler than it was when we were in China. So me and Andrea sat down at the roasting championships in Shanghai with the laptop outside in the lovely weather thinking, oh, this will be nice. With rather the large hangovers, mm. I seem to think, remember mm, as well. Definitely. But my laptop cut out after about 20 odd minutes. We recorded the whole thing, which is good, but it just... Uh, We'd only got 20 minutes of it, so um, we're doing this again, and thank you so much for, for suffering, listening to all my silly questions for a second time, but it was a really interesting podcast, and I think uh, it's definitely one I, I, I'm, I'm very pleased that you're doing <laughs> That sounds good. Do you actually still have the old interview? Yeah. I have, I have 20 okay. minutes of it, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then after that, it just okay. cut out. Um, so what happened was the laptop overheated, um, so it, it ended up fixing itself but it was like it was, took, it was about 12 hours it wasn't working and then all of a sudden it started working so it must be really hot I guess <laughs> in the end yes yes I think so I mean I think the thing is, is when you're recording audio like when you're recording anything it's fairly processor intensive if that processor gets too hot I guess it just dies <laughs> but well, you'll know better than this because like, you're a techie why am I even telling you that it's, it's like, <laughs> you, you, you kind of know that stuff. I mean, for the people who don't know you, like, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of like a, a little bit about Cropster, like um, who you are really. It's just, I mean, I, I know a lot of people do know you, but it's kind of nice for um, people who've not had the benefits and joy of meeting you yet. Okay, um, so I'm Andreas. I'm one of the three co-founders of Cropster. Um, I'm based and actually born in Austria. Um, but Krabster is actually not Austrian-born. Um, it was born in Colombia, um, but by three Austrians. <laughs> so um, um, a few years ago, I guess, it's about yeah, close to ten years ago, uh, a project started in agriculture in Cali, Colombia, and it was about the question how specialty coffee can actually be created on the farmer side, and how small-scale farmers can actually achieve that, and how what's actually needed so they can actually sell the product and yeah get to the quality and the big question does it actually pay off having all those extra efforts and yeah. that was a project for a few years and all uh, um, Cropster founders in the end have been working at the project and my part um, was basically to collect a lot of data from farms like microclimate, harvests, uh, qualities 
and uh, we had a look at how the microclimate and these things actually affect the crop quality. And that's actually how Cropster eventually came up and that's actually the entry point to the industry where we started from. So we were working on fields, we were collecting data from climate and cropping data basically. That's our beginning. And, and before that, had you an interest in coffee? Were you, like, did you enjoy coffee at home? Did you kind of, when you went to a city, kind of seek out a coffee shop? Or was this like a complete, like, oh, I didn't realise coffee was all this kind of geekery around <laughs> Um I always love coffee, and it's very cultural in Austria. Um, as far as I know, Austria is even the first coffee shop, or more or less, or one of the first roasters in Europe. And yeah. there is a lot of history to that, how... The Turks have been actually uh, wanted to invade Vienna and how that thing turned out. Um, actually, coffee stayed there, um, which is kind of even proven, I think, uh, that this actually happened. And coffee turned out to be really, really culturally integrated in Austria. So we even have style how you present coffee. We have many coffee drinks that are similar to Italian drinks, like milk-based, but uh, we have different names for that and everything. So. Even remembering when I was really young, it's just common to drink coffee at home every day and the family gathers and there's coffee and your grandma comes, etc. And everybody's cooking coffee and boiling the water and stuff. I think it's a very, like, I, I was lucky enough to go to Vienna in 2012 when the WBC mm -hmm. was there. And I kind of got the, like, the feel, it's, it's very much in its own mold. So, like, you know, that old-school kind of Viennese coffee experience, I think, is a, is a... You're right, it's a very unique thing. But back then, there didn't seem to be the coffee culture of, like, what's happening in the rest of the world. So, you know, the whole specialty movement and stuff. But I think that, like, my experiences of more recently, that, that definitely seems to be changing. There seems to be an awful lot more going on. Would, would you agree Definitely. That? Uh, that changed so much over the last years, and it's not just Vienna. Uh, we see it in every city. Yeah. Uh, new roasteries coming up, new coffee shops coming up. And a good example or thing that happened was the Vienna Coffee Festival we organized in January. There were a few people from the SE and yeah. I think we had over 4,000 people just by doing it. Um, and there was no big advertising going on. It's just so many people interested in coffee and they drank. We had an espresso bar with 14 different espressos, many filters and people just could taste coffee from everywhere. And small roasters, they had their stands there. And it was quite funny. I asked the roasters, do we go for a beer at night? And they say, I'm sorry, I have to go home and roast more, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's fantastic. It's, uh, I mean, those festivals, I think, can, can really be a great way of bringing, uh, like, showing the community that they're going in the right direction as well. Like, London Coffee Festival a few weeks ago, it was kind of like, it was really good to see that, the kind of, the diversity. But actually, I think, like, we're actually doing a good job, like you know. Look at us; we've got these people who are interested, and it's not just our our geekery where we're kind of, <laughs> you know getting ourselves excited about coffee. I kind of said geekery twice. I don't know why, but um, you know, it's kind of like but other, like normal people are enjoying what we're doing as well. And I think it's nice to have that kind of interaction yeah, with each other. No, definitely agree. Um, so, so like, tell me a little bit about, about Andreas. So your your background, like what you did, what you studied, like a little bit about you, just for for, for those who don't necessarily know. The okay, person. so um, my study background is IT. Um, I did a master's in IT. I even worked quite a few years as a programmer, 
but I always had very strong motivation in, in changing stuff, um, um, a lot of social activities as well. So that's things that always mattered me and that's also the main motivation why I ended up in Colombia. Uh, I really quit my job in Austria, which was pretty well paid and working well. And uh, I went there to see different parts and of the world, to see different societies. And that whole research project where I worked in was basically to improve livelihood of farmers. And that was the point that actually moved me over there. And I see, I see lots of potential here in the coffee industry. That's what's really driving me forward, basically. Where did the funding come from for that project? Was that like a, a, a charity project or was that so close? And I know USAID, for instance, invest a lot of money in those kind of programs or TechnoServe. What, 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 what was the, the background to it? Who was behind kind of pulling this all together? So um, it's embedded in CIAD or CGR group, and that's a worldwide consortium of um, research for uh, poor countries, basically, or poor neighborhoods, all about agriculture, so improve nourishment and stuff like that. And that center in Colombia had about 1,500 people at that point. And coffee was a tiny project in it compared to beans or rice. And um, uh, our project was financed by uh, the German Development Agency and the Canadian. Um, yeah. And we had a few um, private partners in there. And it, that was mostly um, a roasters from America helping us out uh, with copying and evaluating the quality. Fantastic. So pulling it back onto Cropster, um, I'm sure the majority of people know what it is and what it does, but um, can you give us a, a, a synopsis of why Cropster exists? And also, I think interestingly, like, and I didn't really know a lot about this until we spoke in China, and I've kind of gone into it a little bit more now, but I don't... It's, People think of crops when they just think of the software that they plug into their roaster, but there's there's quite a few different platforms as well. So can can you take us through what everybody knows as Cropster and then some of the different platforms that you've been developing uh, to kind of work with? Okay, as well? um, yeah, let's start with the roasting. So yes, Cropster can be plugged in into a roast machine and it shows what's going on. That's the starting point. Um, but that's a that's just an add-on actually. Um, if you have as a roaster, if you have a Cropster account, you have your green stock there. You do your copying and quality control there and quite a bit of analysis. So it, it helps you with the production, it helps you with the quality. And on that tie is a copying app. Um, so you can cop on your phone and or your tablet computer. Um, that's then for roasters basically. Um, but it grows to, to labs. Um, and different people are using labs actually from origin to bigger roasters actually. That's basically a sample, a sampling tool with coffee samples where you can do your grading and, uh, and cuppings and QC. And we have that in a special flavor, the Cropster Origin, which is a lab that actually ties to harvests and to farms and the coffee fields. So you can track your quality on specific fields over time, etc. So that's our core product. And uh, there is a new thing, the new kid in town, um, that's the Cropster Hub. <laughs> and uh, the Cropster Hub is um, an online platform where green coffee sellers can offer their coffee for, to coffee roasters around the world. So it's an open marketplace, and so Cropster is not a coffee trader or selling coffee. Um, and different sellers already put their coffee on, about 40 right now. 
And yeah, people can search for specific flavors on this variety of a specific origin and hop, they'll find you with your current offerings on that. And that model is kind of paid for by the actual sellers paying you a fee to put the coffees on there, yes. is that right? Mm -hmm. or, or does the buyer pay a fee to be married up with No, the that's by the sellers, yeah. By the sellers, by the sellers. And, and, and have you found much kind of resistance from, like I'm thinking in particular importers, because uh, that's, a, that's a, the majority. I know there's some farmers actually working with you directly mm -hmm. as well, isn't there? But I'm thinking importers, like kind of, almost like having a mixed price list with all of the other imports. Has, has there been any resistance to that? Have you found any negatives with that? Or has it all been kind of fairly positively received? Uh, so not negative, but there's a lot of question marks because it's something new. And um, if you look at yeah. the industry as a huge system, obviously where it eventually goes and what's happening, there's a lot of dynamics going on. And that raises a lot of questions. But, um, you know, we, we did a huge survey before we did it uh, at Coffee Buyer's site. And we asked how they actually buy coffee and we've seen that anyway, everybody asks for all the offer sheets on the market and then they compare what they're going to buy. So that process is actually yeah. happening in place and the hub is basically streamlining that and helping people finding the right coffee and then also ordering the right sample or a more relevant sample. Um, and that helps actually the sellers as well. They get more relevant requests. I, I kind of also I know I know that you've been working on the auction platform to be running the Cup of Excellence program as well, and I guess that kind of ties into the hub a little mm -hmm. bit, doesn't it? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, do do you see? Obviously, you're doing the Cup of Excellence stuff, which is you know which is fantastic and a program that you know I'm a huge fan of and and, and love what they do. Um, but do you see that going to going anywhere else? I mean, we've seen a you know pr proliferation of like farms doing their own auctions and things do you see that as a potential marketplace to go to as well or are you just going to focus on on, on that one element of, of cup of excellence uh, no we actually had other auctions already happening um so um okay sasha sestic did two auctions already oh sorry he right. did one and the second one is coming up in june and uh, so that was honduras never heard no, of that guy i don't know Who's either <laughs> No, no, probably won some coffee making competition just, somewhere. Just assume he's a world champion <laughs> or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, let's just call him champ. Call him champ. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that, that's interesting. So, do you see any partnerships like? Because the ones I'm thinking of is like we see Alan Herto's had a very successful auction just mm -hmm. recently, and you've got uh, the Maresh uh, Los Fabrics yes. auction happening. And I, I'm really excited in pairing like the, the the producers to be able to kind of pull out their very small, interesting micro lots and be able to get those crazy prices for it. And almost like circumnavigating the cup of excellence because they've already been that. I think that is for you know producers that need to be found and the farms that mm -hmm. have been found. Um, having that platform to be able to get those great prices and also then as a roaster being able to get those you know phenomenally exceptional, very small lots is, is very exciting and, and something I'd love to see more. Definitely, of. and it's... I think it's it's not just the prices; it's getting to know the farmer. I guess that's a strong yes. motivation. Yeah, I mean, it's mm. also it's a great promotional tool as well for the rest of the, the, the farms' coffee. You know, if people are tasting these, you know, stunning coffees uh, that there are these great micro lots. I think it's just a really good way of them promoting um, their mm -hmm. own farms. Yeah. Um, pulling it back to the roasting software, because I think that's the thing that I, I think it's fair to say that is is one of the core mm -hmm. products and also something you're best known for because it was the what you brought to market first. Um, 
How many languages is it in now? Because I, I seem to remember having this conversation with you. It's in about a billion Of course. <laughs> no, uh, obviously it's English and German, mother tongue. Um, Spanish ever since. Yeah. Um, Spanish was actually the second language we supported. And um, okay. more recently we added uh, Korean, Japanese, and we are in the process of adding Chinese right now. And quite a few bits we have in uh, Portuguese as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, so that leads me on to my, my, my next part is one when you do an update to the, to the <laughs> software, how much work does that create language wise? Because it, it's not just about creating uh, the change on the screen, it's also going back and changing all of the support and, and the, the help stuff, isn't it? But then also, how do you actually handle that support as well in, in all of those different languages? Yeah, that's oh god. <laughs> um, let's start at the beginning. So um, so we, we run two offices. So the main office is in Innsbruck, where I'm right now, and we have a second office in, in California. So by having those two locations, we cover about 20 hours of real-life support. So if you have anything you want to know or any question, you can call us basically 20 hours a day. Um, and we have an online portal where you can write us uh, with a lot of manuals, most of them are translated as well. Um, but it sometimes gets tricky if you don't understand the language or we have no language overlap, let's say. Um, but a good example is um, maybe the Koreans. So we have a local partner there and they are well trained in the product. So um, Koreans can just call them and ask for help or whatever they need. And just in case something's then really hard to know um, the Koreans will give us a call our partner and so it's then a two-step system but we have it basically set up all around the world that you can in your business hours that you can call us and, and people make use of it actually we, we see that every day yeah yeah I mean I, I was just about to say I mean I, I can actually testify that it does work because we we had some problems with uh, here at drop with the with something that we were doing on there and we just couldn't get it to to, to work and it was like an email fired off, and then about five minutes later, there was an answer there. Oh, you just need to do this, do this, do this, and it was like, wow, that was super quick. So, yeah, um, cool. <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I just I can't imagine trying to actually manage all of those things going on. Because um, I know another thing that we, we talked about last time, and, and and I found super interesting is the amount of requests that you get for. Wouldn't it be good if the software could just do this? Um, I mean, how many of those do you get and, and, and how many are you able to actually go, actually that's not too difficult or actually developing something as you go just is like, it can be, I know it can be super complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, of course. So, so how many of those kind of requests do you get? I mean, is there lots of those like, I just like, like I, I, I was talking to Joanna today about we were having this phone call and she was saying like, what I'd really like is, I'd like a button on how, when I can press, so how long it takes to empty the drum. And then I'd also like one to test, to, to click how long the cooling tray is going for, for instance. And I was like, why do you want that information? She said, I don't know. <laughs> I, do. <laughs> I mean, do you get lots of people kind of come to you? All you need to do is this. Yes, of course. Um, but um, I think my answer would have been different a year ago, actually. Um, or maybe one and a half years ago. So we had much more ideas. Uh, we also want to have this. Can we do it like that? 
that's an idea. And we still get a lot of ideas and that's brilliant for us, obviously. Um, we, we, we actually try to listen and to learn as good as we can. Yeah. But um, there is tons of information coming in. And it that streamlined a little over the last year, I would say. So um, some workflows or some functions we could actually... People are more used to that and it's more standardized now. And yeah. uh, that's possibly two years ago that was quite different because we first did the process. It was possibly not even good or, or let's say perfect. But... Um, but now it's come more accepted, though the process improved a little, um, the real-time workflows on side of that improved or adopted. So um, when people come up with an idea, it's very, very common that many people around the globe have the same idea in the same months. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a small wave going on. And so that's either a big conspiracy or... Um, <laughs> um, I think actually, so people start using it and they get the same questions. What's the next step? And then they see it and it comes. And I think that's what's actually going on. I must have been one, one, of, one of the recent developments you did where you took the, when you can, you can compare the roasting curves together. So say, for instance, you've got three roasts of the same coffee you did in the day. You can click them, compare them, and you can see the difference in the curves and things. And I always found that really useful mm -hmm. uh, when we were cupping to kind of go, what's happened here? What's different here? You know, and, and try and work out what was going on. But then you've added the cupping data to the bottom now as well. Mm -hmm. So you can actually see when you put your cupping data and you can actually compare the cupping data as well. And that seems such a simple thing. Like, but taking that as a for instance, how long does that take to develop to put that kind of functionality into the software that's already there? Yeah, I mean, that depends, obviously. So <laughs> that, that's probably the absurd thing about software. It's all handmade and handwritten every step. Um, although we don't will then optimize things on the other end. So it's just the opposite yeah. to create it. So sometimes we have fixes that cost five minutes, um, although they are more and more seldom. Uh, and others, <laughs> I think that that huge new coupling compare we, we released, what you're referring to, I would yeah. say that if one person would do it, it's at least three months of work or more. Wow. Obviously, you do it in parallel, so many people are working on it, and there's a lot of tiny pieces of to it. But um, well, That's crazy, because I looked at it and I thought, oh, that's really good. I'm pleased to have done that. But it was like, I, mean, you know, I no way did I think, oh, like, that's three months' work. You know, you just think, oh, that's easy. You can do that. Just pull it out of the database and put it on the screen there. But it's obviously a lot more complicated. Whereas programming is a lot more complicated than I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is the thing, as, as a piece of software grows, isn't it? I mean, people don't necessarily understand that as it grows, it actually becomes harder to attach things to because bolting things onto the original code can, mm. can be hard. If you sat down and rewrote the whole of crop stuff from start to where it is now and you knew everything that was going to be in there, uh -huh. that would probably be a lot quicker than if you look at all the time that you've had to invest in it over the previous you know, the previous years while it's been developing, isn't it? Of course, but that would apply to politics yeah. too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right now you can try <laughs> to do the best as possible, right? <laughs> um. So I, I first heard of you guys um, in Vienna. So I was at the, at the the World of Coffee event there. We did a tab tantrum in the corner. And just around the corner from us was the, um, the World Roasting Championships. Mm -hmm. And... You were involved. That, that it, was, it wasn't really a, a championship as such. It was like a test run, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of warm up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you were involved in that, and you're still involved in in that today. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
How useful has that program been as a you know for, for you as a company? As it's something because I look at it and I think we we talked about this in the last one, but other people weren't there. So, but we talked about you know like the, the competition doesn't really have any show without Cropster kind of being there and on the screens. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've kind of dragged it along a little bit too with with the organisation to kind of make it into a a better competition but has it been useful for you as a company kind of being involved in that competition of course I mean it's marketing Um, that's clear Um, it helped us um, really in Vienna so I think everybody who competed then now uses Cropster actually (laughs) Um, but um, yeah for us um, um, next to advertising the product it's it's very very interesting to to also see um, how people are actually roasting the coffee, how different they are roasting. Although that difference is actually becoming more or less actually over time, I think. Uh, that that was actually where, where my next okay. question was going to go with it a little bit because like you you, you published you, this year you published all of the curves mm-hmm. um, online um, at the end of the day uh, after after the day had finished and was like. I was looking at them and I was seeing that there were a couple of like real outliers mm-hmm. that were kind of like doing crazy stuff. But have, since 2012 too now, you're saying that that's been quite a dramatic change? Or? Yes, that's a dramatic change, I would say. So oh, wow. the, the, the idea how you should roast changed so much um, in the last years. Um, yeah. It's actually, if you look at the World Championship over the years, it's, it's very, very obvious. But, um, yeah, in the everyday work, I, I actually never seen it so much. People told me that um, usage of rate of rise or roast compares or also uh, recent books about roasting actually uh, helped them to improve, helped them to think about their roasting and such, and that they changed their profiles over time. But you look at the World Championships and you see a few things you have seen on the rate of rise a few years ago you don't see anymore. It's just not being done anymore. It's weird, you know. I, I got back from that championships, and we were. Uh, it's fairly well known that I, I, I don't use Cropster, I don't use any mm-hmm. uh, software on that has been. Um, and you, we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But <laughs> um, while I was roasting, I was I was I jumped on the roast, and I was doing um, I was doing the stuff for the Brewers Cup, and I, I was roasting it, and I I, I was instantly. Look, talking about rate of rise, my drop temp, my development time, my uh, stuff I, I, I've obviously talked about before, but I was talking about it in a different way because I was visualizing it from the championships mm-hmm. that had been at the week before. And it was, it was really bizarre. I was kind of like, what are you doing, Steve? You don't, you, you don't talk like that normally. Um, and you, you had a real effect on me that week. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, 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 it was quite scary and interesting at the same time. Um, but one thing I found from from that world, from the championships, and also looking at all of the competitors' curves and, and stuff like that, was that data I found like incredibly interesting. Like we were sitting in the back of a cab one night, going to one of the bars, and we were looking at the different curves, going, <laughs> "What have they done there?" You know, kind of like literally like looking at that data, thinking, "How can that taste? That just doesn't look right." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, looking at things like rate of rise and looking at things like development times and stuff like that, we were just like, "That's crazy." Um, but it's it's so cool actually. About, it's so cool. Um, it, no, it is. I mean, it was just, really cool, and 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 and, and that's so that's what kind of where I was going with it because it was super cool. And I was like, 
you have, and I know the answer to this, so, but I'm going to, the other people won't. You have all of that data from every single roaster that signed up to Cropster coming into you. You have that database sitting there of all of that interesting information. Um, what do you do with it? What, what do you do with that like really interesting database? Hmm, yeah, that's up to you. <laughs> no, um, so first, it's it's not our database. Um, I, I need to make that clear. So we don't own it, and we actually have no legal right to use it, and we don't use it. Um, but obviously, there is a lot of data in there, and possibly the copying compare is a good example. So we got the requests, and um, yeah. that we should bring in more to the curves, and this to the curves, and other filters, and whatever. And the data is already here, so we added that report functionality, and it's automatically filled up. You know, um, yeah. so we can yeah. make use for the customer and say, okay, we can use your data in different manners, and we learn how things should be and how to improve. And if we implement that, our customers immediately have the benefit to to just see it then and see the the new calculations or graphs, etc. So that's good. But I think last time can we I, had the question. I, can I ask mm-hmm. for a development then? Can I? Can, I'm going to do one live on, like, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, like I'm going to be one of those guys that like says, "Oh, you just need to do this." But I would love an opt-in option to share that data with other roasters. Like I just think that would be so interesting. Maybe anonymously, mm-hmm. like maybe not necessarily like you know, it's got the roastery's name on or whatever. But like mm-hmm. just pulling that data up and seeing what people's copying scores and seeing what people's curves are. I mean, is that anything you've ever thought of kind of doing or, or taking forward? Um, yeah, I got that interview question once before, I guess. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no. Um, we got a few requests regarding that, yeah. Um, some people would like yeah. to kind of opt in and say, I want to share my data with a researcher, for example, uh, yeah. who looks into just saying a word, sweetness development, for example. And yeah. I find that very interesting, actually. And um, so we have no current immediate plans to jump into that. But... yeah. Um, I think it's interesting and we need to see and that's also I think that was one of your concern regarding roast profiling overall uh, you said that if sensors are, the, are at a different point in the machine or if it's a different machine or if it's in a different city the profiles need to be different true I agree and if you just look at all old UG machines that are refurbished you will never be able to compare them because they have different sensors in different positions in different cities uh, different motors and burners, etc., through refurbishment. So that's from a scientific or research point of view, not really well comparable data. Mm-hmm. But um, if you look at new machines, that's more standardized now, and I think there is opportunity for the industry to learn from that. I think there's also interesting, like for me, the, the kind of data I think I'd be finding interesting from there is what kind of people's development time. You know, people, how long people are spending actually, you know, t- taking from first grain, developing flavour, looking at different kind of uh, basic things like like roast times. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I, I, I walk into roasteries and when I'm lucky enough to be invited to somebody else's roastery and we'll, we'll start to, and like, I remember walking in somewhere, I won't say where because, yeah, it would, you'll understand why, but like, oh yeah, now what's your standard roast time kind of thing? Like, oh yeah, about 22 to 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what? And I'd love to know if other people in the industry are like, if that, like, if I'm one of the weird ones, kind of in a different place, and that's the kind of norm. Do you know what I mean? It was like that kind of data I would find super interesting. And also, like, that whole development time thing, I just, 
I'd love to know kind of just just the standard kind of times and lengths and 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 I agree the temperatures and things can will be vastly vastly different but mm-hmm. curves tend to be fairly the same even though they do, do you know what I mean like even though you're on different machines mm-hmm. you're looking at different curves and things but yeah. um, temperatures not so much but curves I think can be replicated a lot more yeah yeah I would agree yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, honestly, there's no. I won't charge a fee for the for the idea either. You can ju- you can just do it. I don't mind. It's like free of charge. Honestly, I'm, 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 I'm this. Um, but yeah, and, and you, you you actually started me on the next question a little bit when we were talking about the, the different roasters. I mean, how many how many roasters do you work with that are working with more than one roaster? I mean, do you have a lot like that? Or have you got? Hmm. Um, yeah, that I am not sure. Um, but a good, a, a really good percentage of roasters have more than one machine. That's that's so what how, we have. How do you mm-hmm. how do you actually do that offering to them? And do they find it useful because of the differences of the you know working from like we for instance at Hasby we've got a two kilo, we've got a twelve kilo, two kilo Ambex, a 10, 12 kilo Proba, the Probatone, twenty five kilo L twenty five, and then a G sixty. So completely different <laughs> roasters and different years and times and eras that they were built. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do those guys who've got those multi-roaster offerings, are they, do, you, do you find from feedback from them that they get useful information when they're going from roaster to roaster or are they just comparing the one roasters together? I'm just I'm kind of definitely. asking for a friend. No, no, definitely. Um, so if you have two roasters, you will have a specific set of profiles for roaster A and one for the roaster B. Um, and you try to achieve consistency on that one. Although you might be roasting in the end the same coffee, but you will have a different profile to get there. That happens actually. And so then consistency is not happening on a specific curve, I would say, but consistency is happening in a cup. Um, That's what you want to achieve anyway. And then you go from there and try to achieve that on each machine. But that happens a lot, yeah. And it's even then more... So we actually see that if there's more than one machine in the in the roastery, and you have more than one person roasting, it even becomes more important to be to achieve on that consistency and control the quality. Yeah. So so it's kind of, kind of again I'm I'm more interested because I, I we roasters tend to live in their little bubbles and we don't really kind of get a chance to live you know talk to to other roasters and kind of. Because that's where I think a lot of this data could be super interesting. But um, yeah, like when when I'm approaching a roaster with a coffee, it's not it's always going to be a different approach to the different roaster that you're turning up to. Um, and one of my concerns and why we unplugged a lot of our profiling software was there was a, a tendency to follow the curves and not the instincts um, a little bit. And because um, sometimes you know you just have to react to things that are happening. Like if it starts mm-hmm. raining in the middle of the roast. Like completely changes the way you're going to approach that coffee than yes. you did at the start to, to where you are in the future because the air pressure changes, your airflow is changing, mm-hmm. everything's going crazy because it started raining. Um, and, I, and I guess that's the, 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 that, that was the question, the, the answer I was looking for that people are, do kind of uh, uh, approach it a little differently. Yeah, and we can repeat the question, um, obviously. <laughs> no, uh, um, that's definitely true. And I mean, I see. I don't see that different, and and that's yeah. something we wanna. So with our roasting software, it's not the aim to um, to have a fully automatic repetition system. 
especially if it starts raining, you will need something else. Uh, we have fog in San Francisco. We have variety if we have very dry air, uh, dry winds that are very hot. And that changes your roasting environment just in, a, in, a, in half an hour or so completely. I mean, but I think it's also as the seasons change as well. Like I'm of course. in Stockholm where mm -hmm. it's 27 degrees and like four months ago I was hearing it was minus 20. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you get those massive changes which need a different approach. And I think that this is the thing that quite often gets lost when I'm talking to roasters who are using crops that they say, oh, well, we're following the curve, so it's okay. And it's kind of like, like your approach to it has to be completely different is you are getting some data. Like you are getting data so you can actually try and... Can, improve consistency but you still have to be the person in charge of that and the data isn't all like yeah. you can't paint mm. my numbers if you like um and i think that sometimes that does get lost a little bit um well with particularly the new people coming into roasting it's like well i've got cropster i've got a probat i've got this i'm okay i can just kind of do it and i'm going to do the same each time and and it, and it just doesn't work like that coffee roasting doesn't work like that um no it, uh, yeah I, you're right and um I think a good example. I did like uh, San Francisco. That's also a city where we had the first installations, um, or one of the first installations of Cropster, um, still with the Lego case uh, instead of a proper one for our electronics. And so they started to log and they started to have reliable data for the copying. And then they learned, and they one day um, a person called and said, "Hey, man." Uh, which just variance is in the cup and now we can actually see if this is happening on the rate of rise that's the reason and we didn't know and we couldn't see and it was so frustrating and a little later they actually had a, a paper next to the roast machine again and they told them um, through the curves and through the cupping they could relate also to the outside temperature of when the fog is coming in and um, they've seen if that happens, you need to do this with the start temperature and the settings and you will end up again with the same profile or the same coffee. Uh, or they had different profiles for different seasons or seasonalities or situations. So that was an outcome I, I, I did see, yeah. That's amazing. Have you seen anybody using it? I mean, that's a really great use of it that you've kind of you know, been able to adapt. Uh, what's happening to the changes in uh, the outside? Have you seen anybody using it in a really kind of like way that you would kind of go, why are you doing that? Because uh, you kind of, I'm guessing you get to see lots of um, different levels and skills of, of, of roasters. Um, <laughs> no, not not too much actually. Um, oh come, come on, on. Spill the beans. There's got to be something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really thought about that after Shanghai, and I just, it really bugs me a lot, that question. Um, um, no, not too much. I mean, there's different, okay, let's say there's different, <laughs> there's different roastings, obviously, and, um, but I, I don't see too much or, or crazy stuff or whatever you want to <laughs> you wanna hear here, I guess. That's not happening oh, overall. No fun. But overall, it's... No fun uh, at all. I guess it's... You know, it's it's just. I mean, you can also buy a car and you park it in a river. That's not good, but a software. <laughs> you know, it's it's just a tool. You know, um, and you can use it properly or not so properly or just fifty percent. Um, but that's then up to you, and that's also then telling you how much you get out or not. Yeah. So, 
I kind of when I when I've, I've a lot of conversations come up about crops. I mean, it's it's something that's been kind of fairly hot for the last kind of four years, five years. You know, the, the, the logging software was. Um, I remember seeing the Ambex logging software come out for like I think that was one of the one of the first ones to come out. Mm-hmm. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. and yeah, and and I, I I kind of had I had one of those and I, I didn't get on with it very well, so I ended up turning that one off as well. But. Um, so where was I going with that one? Um, yeah, no, that's it. So when I when I was using it, like I was using it as a logging system. So like I wasn't necessarily looking at the screen and kind of did. I was basically using it to go back and look at things and also just to log what was going on. The ambulance. Um, do you see lots of people using like that, or do you actually see like more kind of geeky wanting to get into the really minute detail? I mean, like. Is there a one-size-fits-all of a person that's using it, or do you find that people are using it in very, very different ways? Yeah, that's actually true. Um, I kind of forget about that, but uh, we we added that at the beginning, so people were more used to number lists than curves. So um, you can add or you can extend the window, actually, and it basically writes you the temperature every 30 seconds if you prefer that. And... I've seen that more at the beginning, actually. So a more traditional notation for roast, but people felt more like at home with that. That that changed a lot. And what I've seen, I also seen it at the World Championships in Shanghai. Um, people used to zoom in and zoom out and change the time axis during the roast a lot. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of we that. have looking for the like to just to get into this like the. Because I think if you're looking at a screen and you really want to kind of see exactly where it's at, it was really interesting to see there was an awful lot of that zooming in and out. Yeah, that was really surprising to me. So we ever had that thing, but I guess uh, most people didn't use it in the first years. Uh, but I see it now more often, and we've, yeah, yeah, definitely. And 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 do you see? I mean, because I I'm seeing one of the major uses of it is also as a training tool. So like when we have a new roaster kind of start with us, so it's very difficult sometimes to just explain what a curve is. So in my head, I kind of I, I kind of have a crop screw in my head where I'm kind of seeing you know if I'm trying to tell you what I want to do with a coffee, I'm seeing a curve in my mm-hmm. head. Whereas if you've got something in front of you, you can actually visually show it. So do you see a lot of people using it for training as well? Yes, um, especially if more than one person is roasting, it's it's used heavily. Um, yeah. And there is also a use case we've I've never thought about, but um, actually, uh, drop coffee. Um, they changed the machine two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. And it was from a 15 to a... Uh, three years ago it was, yeah. Three years ago, yeah. I think a 15 to a 25 now. Am I right? That's right, Okay, yes. and different manufacturers, mm-hmm. so quite a bit of different beasts to control. And uh, yeah. they had crops on the old machine and installed on the new machine. And um, they told me then... I, at the next show, I think we met in Nice after that, and they just came to me and said, hey, we were able to do the transition, and we are roasting perfectly again after, I don't know, was it eight weeks or so, or even less? Uh, I need to grab out the site, actually. Uh, but they said, because we, we were used to the curves, we know what we are wanting to, and we know how the notation works, and then we copped, and we actually learned so fast we were actually to change and minimize the transition time significantly. So even as experienced roasters, the change of material was much easier to do. And so that's a training on yourself, basically, then. But 
I think it makes it easier and it's possibly even, as you say, you talk about development time or rate of rise as it's then also um, the common language. That's basically what Scott Rowell also says. Um, he, he also wanted to coin with these terms a, a common language, basically, so roasters can talk to each other and, and learn from each other. And I think that's a fair point. I think that's the biggest change that I felt personally from it, and, and, and the biggest benefit I felt is is that we are starting to talk in a it, we we're using terms and like just just starting to have that common language, which is it, it's been missing for so long. Um, mainly because roasters have no social skills and are not allowed to talk to other people, but um, we're not like the baristas. We can't do the dancing monkey stuff. We have to go <laughs> to the warehouse, cold warehouse somewhere, and make green go brown. Um, Okay, I've got one more question before we do wrap up. And obviously, you've got to see... You, you, I think you've really embedded yourselves in the coffee community. So mm-hmm. you've gone kind of at farm level, at uh, importer level, at roaster level, and you're getting to meet an awful lot of baristas when you're going around these shows and different things like that. Mm-hmm. If you could fix one problem in coffee, money was no object, time was no object, but you were going to kind of create a piece of software to fix something in coffee, what would it be? Stunned silence. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I feel so comfortable here. Uh. <laughs> no, I mean in the industry, man. So. Uh. No, um, actually, I wouldn't change so much right now. I think what I personally would like to change, I would like to see empowerment on the farmer side. I want to see better incomes there. That's that's my yeah. personal thing. Um, and if that's if I would have endless resources and time, obviously I could fix it. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's I think that's also needed for us. Um, all the small roasters. All the all the farmers, everybody in between, yeah, and the baristas and the consumers need to make a good living, and then it will sustain. Otherwise, it it can't sustain anyway. It's even in our all. For it's sure. our industry interest. It's not just a social thing. Yeah. No, for sure, and I think that's the thing. Is like if if somebody somewhere in the chain doesn't get what they need from it, so the consumer doesn't get something delicious and tasty and and something they enjoy. You know, if the barista doesn't get paid enough to actually learn and hone their skills, if the roaster doesn't, you know, and, and then if the producer doesn't get paid enough to grow it, he'll stop growing it. And then the rest of the chain doesn't, it doesn't matter what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I like the idea of something like what you do with the hub, where you can, like, if I'm a farmer in Colombia and I want to sell my coffee directly, I can kind of come to you guys and say, I want to put my coffee on your site and be able to send samples out to people and stuff. And they can kind of do that, which is it's kind of, you know, it's it's a step towards it, but um, that's a that, that's a kind of good answer. Oh, I don't like doing the good answers. <laughs> <laughs> so will you be a farmer? Um, pardon? Will you become a farmer? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. I I I did kind of like every time I see Tim uh, Tim Wengelbow, I just get a little bit more sad for myself because he beat me to it. But I would mm. love to have a farm one day. I would love to be able to do all the crazy experiments that I can't ask other people to do. Um, I would love the opportunity to do that at some point. I really would. I uh, just met him two days ago, actually. And yeah, he said that 
pretty much the same actually. Like said about yeah. I ne- I nearly bought a farm this year actually. I got I got there was an opportunity came up in El Salvador to buy a ten hectare farm. Okay. So incredibly small really. But um, sorry, ten manzana, not ten hectare. So okay. Incredibly mm-hmm. small. Mm-hmm. But a farm that I currently buy from and that they were looking to, to sell. But by the time I decided I was going to, I was too late and somebody had already bought it. I spent too long umming and ahhing over it, like, could I afford it or not? So, um, But yes, definitely one day I would uh, I would love to have a farm. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Andreas, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming and doing this again with me. I, I actually think we've done a better job this time as well. I guess so, I, I, yeah. We both are less hungover. Yeah, that's um, a benefit. That bar we went to on that night was a little crazy. Yeah, I still have photos. Yeah. <laughs> Burn and delete the photos, please. <laughs> yeah, I definitely should. <laughs> From an artistic point yes. of view, yeah. I should. Yeah. Well, that's good blackmail stuff, though. You should maybe hang on to them. Oh, yeah, uh, that was about the sales pitch, right? <laughs> That's right, that's right. Yeah, we're definitely doing that then. Uh, now, listen, thank you so much for joining me. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, quick one before they go. If they want to find out a bit more about Crop Street, www.cropster.org. Or, or com, whatever. Or com. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know why I've got org in my head. Now. I think I've been to org before. Um, but cropster.com, um, and people can kind of get in touch with you through the website and um, ask questions and mm-hmm. talk to you about stuff there, yeah? Or meet us in Dublin. We'll meet in Dublin. So you're going to be you're going to be there in Dublin. Uh, have you got a have you got a stand number yet? Uh, yes. Um, what number? I have no idea. But if you walk over to the Barista World Championship stage, we are in the corner. So you're going to pass us. Oh, nobody will be going there. No, nobody will be interested in that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, you'll be in the corner by the WBC stage. Pop in and say uh, hi to Andreas and the rest of the team. Again, thank you for joining me, mate. Thanks for having uh, me. I look forward to seeing you in Dublin. Perfect. Looking forward to seeing you guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Over and out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.